All right, you know what comes next in the service, don't you? <laughs> I didn't even have to say anything, right? So good morning, Cultivate. How are we feeling today? The, uh, the weather doesn't have you down, does it? What rain, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. We, uh, despite what's happening outside, we are uh, excited about all that's uh, happening here uh, at our church, the, the new growth that we've experienced, the new energy and life that's come to the church. If you haven't uh, heard about all the things that you're doing, um, don't ask me, ask some of the people that are sitting around you and see what their take is on it, um, because you'll hear one side from me, and uh, you may be suspicious that I'm giving you the spin. So, uh, so I want you to be able to hear it from the people that are actually experiencing it and starting to uh, give their time and energy towards making this thing happen, uh, because the church is more than just me. It's more than just the worship team. It's more than what happens here on Sunday morning. Uh, it is a community of people who are devoted to Jesus and seeing him happen in our community. Uh, so that's what I'm excited to be a part of. That's kind of what we've been talking about uh, throughout this series. Um, and uh, we've been doing this whole thing called One Life. So if this is your first time sort of experiencing um, this particular message or, or since you've been here with us this morning, uh, One Life is essentially your one shot at this thing called life. Uh, you get one chance uh, to, to use your life, to invest it in something greater than yourself because the reality is that God has placed a dream within you that only you can fulfill. Uh, and so what that means is God has wired you specifically. There are certain things about your DNA and your makeup, your experience, um, your gifts and skills and talents and all these things that come together in such a way that God can only use you to fulfill that dream. Uh, and, and the reality, if we're going to be honest, is that God desires to use each of us in a bigger way than we've ever imagined for ourselves. And so when we begin to plug our one life into God's kingdom dream for the world, that's when our life matters. That's when things start to connect for us. That's when we begin to live for more than today, more than ourselves, more than our own ambitions, more than our selfishness, all of those things. And we begin to live for him and for what he'd do through us. So that's kind of the concept behind one life. And the way that we've been describing it is to uh, say that a follower of Jesus, a Christian, um, that that term has been hijacked and minimized in our society. And so often the, the term Christian has come to mean someone who prays a prayer at one point in time and then lives the rest of their life as if that prayer didn't matter. Essentially what we're saying is that a Christian is someone who follows Jesus. Now that's a bigger idea, right? Because that involves more than just a one-time event. That involves a, a sort of a daily renewing of that following. It's, it's sort of every day getting up and saying, okay, Jesus, where are you going and where am I going with you today? Um, but that a Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting that one life that God has given you to God's kingdom dream for the world. Uh, the fact is that God has a dream for this world and he wants us to be a part of it. He, he's... What, he, he's orchestrated history so that we can be a part of what he's doing. If you think about it this way, it is the most tremendous privilege that you and I have in our entire lives, that, that God has uh, 
included us, invited us, called us to be a part of what he's doing in the world and said, I want to use you guys of all people to do it. Uh, Kind of a scary thought, right? Uh, So what we've been talking about throughout this series has been kind of opening the floodgates of what it means to be a Christian. And I realize going through this, if you want to sort of you know, get down to the grassroots of what it means uh, to do this series, we are really trying to deconstruct uh, some of the false, some of the incomplete, inaccurate portrayals of what it means to be a follower of Christ, and then rebuild a new portrait that really calls us to give our entire lives to it. It's bigger than us. It will take more than our capacity uh, to, to give to it. It will call you to devote every day from this day until the end of your days to fulfill that dream. That's what it means to be a follower of Christ. It's the whole ball of wax. It's the whole ball of yarn. Um, so I realized that going through this, uh, I asked um, someone this week, you know, how, how has this series been going? And they said, well, to be honest, it's, it's, uh, it's been kind of difficult. And I said, well, difficult in a good way or a bad way? And she said, both, really, because on the one hand, it's given us a lot of things to grab onto and a lot of new life and a lot of things. But in another way, it's, it hurts a little bit because it sort of rattles what we've always sort of taken for granted. And so when we talked about the, the whole Good Samaritan thing, it was really like, I never pictured that I may not be the Good Samaritan. I may actually be the other person. Uh, and maybe God is calling me to live differently than I've always assumed that I've been to live. So that's kind of what we've been doing. We've been tackling all of these issues. Love, justice, Pete did peace last week. Uh, and so the, the big question is, where do we go from here? Um, what is it that, that needs our attention at this point? And uh, if you've been following Twitter or Facebook, you'll know that the, uh, the idea that we're tackling for this week uh, is wisdom. It's wisdom. So I gave out a little contest uh, to see if we could find a definition of wisdom. And um, the good news is we have a winner. The bad news is she was the only one to submit an answer. So, <laughs> so by default, Debbie wins. <laughs> so here, here's a little bit of wisdom from, from Deb Volusher. Uh, wisdom is letting your principles prevail when the world is telling you to just do what feels good. I thought that was a pretty good answer. Um, I'll, so I'm going, to see, I'm going to see if I can top that this morning, um, which is going to be a tall task to do, uh, because that's a pretty good one. So I, I figured I would start out this morning being that it's about wisdom uh, in making a confession to you. Um, and so I'm, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you. Um, you know, I've been kind of leading this charge uh, called Cultivate. Uh, for over a month now. And so here's my confession to you. More days than not, I wake up with this thought. I have no idea what I'm doing. (laughs) You think I'm joking? (laughs) I really do. I mean... So I've never planted a church before. I've never relaunched a church before. I've never been the lead pastor of a church before. Really, I'm questioning what it is that made you vote yes when when the... And maybe you are too at this point. I don't know. Um, I'm not from New Jersey. Um, 
there's probably a lot of good things involved in that. <laughs> I don't understand these people in New Jersey. Um, there's a lot of unknowns, and so that's, that's kind of my confession to you. More days often than not, I wake up with that thought in my mind. God, I have no idea what to do. I have no clue. I don't have the knowledge uh, to, to, to do what you've asked me to do, to, to lead this people of yours. And we're going to look at a story that, that looks a lot like that. Um, but I, I'll tell you what I do have. And uh, I don't just say this about myself because I, I like to think it about myself. I say this because it's been affirmed by uh, people within the community of God's people, kind of affirming it back to me, my own wife and, and others, um, that, that God has, for whatever reason, given me the gift of wisdom. And uh, it's not something that I thought was part of my gifting uh, until maybe the last two years or so. And I've seen it uh, grow steadily and be used in a number of ways. And I see somebody nodding, so I'm thankful for that. If, if I see you shaking your head, I may question where I'm going with this entire message. Um, but for whatever reason, he's given me this gift. And so in some sense... Um, it's a good thing kind of talking about this because I feel like I can talk from a place of strength. Um, and so let me kind of rewind and just talk about spiritual gifts for a second. Spiritual gifts are gifts that God gives you to uh, benefit other people. So they're not for yourself, right? So if I were given the gift of wisdom um, just to live a wise life, that would be of no benefit to the rest of everyone else. So what makes it a spiritual gift is not that I'm wise, but I'm able to transfer that wisdom to other people. Um, and, and it benefits other people. So that's always the output of the spiritual gift, is that it impacts and enables uh, other folks to live their God-given dream too. Um, so, you know, if you claim to have the gift of teaching, but when you, you know, call people together and nobody shows up, um, you may want to rethink that, that gift. Uh, if you think for yourself, well, I must have the gift of helps. I like to help other people. And every time you show up at a dinner party and you try to help, somebody goes, oh, no, 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 I got that, and tries to do it for you. You may not have the gift. Because gifts always benefit other people. They are the ones who affirm those gifts in you. And so even if you take a spiritual inventory test and go, yep, that, that's me, um, but nobody seems to affirm that gift in you, it, it may be time to look at it again. Um, so I say that to, to say I have some decent confidence in the fact that God's given me um, the gift of wisdom. Um, and I say that not for my own pride, but to say it uh, as a way to say um, that talking about the gift brings up some dangers for me. Um, it does it in a couple ways. Uh, because if you're gifted at something, it doesn't always mean that you can teach about that gift. Uh, so if you ask, like Chase Utley, how do you hit a curveball... Um, he may tell you, well, my, my knee's kind of bummed right now and I can't do it. Um, but when he's well, he may say, well, I don't know, I just swing the bat. Uh, there's some things that I do, but they're sort of intangibles. I just kind of do it. Uh, and it happens. I can hit a curveball. It doesn't mean that you can. It doesn't mean that he can transfer that knowledge to you. Um, but it means that he can. A good example of this is uh, I uh, decided in my high school career that I needed a job. And I didn't really want to work you know, flipping burgers or doing some of the other things that all my friends were doing. So I lived near a ski resort, so I decided I was going to become a ski instructor and teach kids how to ski uh, because I was really good at skiing. And uh, I remember, you know, filling out the application. I came for the thing. We're doing the training sessions. And I realized sort of the first time down the mountain, 
I have no idea what makes me a decent skier. Like, I've been skiing since I was five years old, uh, and so a lot of those things have just been sort of built into the way that I ski, but to actually transfer them to someone else is a very difficult thing to do. Um, and so that's kind of how I'm feeling about this. Um, the second thing is when you talk about gifts, it's easy to write it off as somebody else's ability and not your own. So it's easy to say, well, uh, you have the gift of so-and-so, uh, therefore I don't need to learn that, I'll just rely on you to do it. Um, but I think as we sort of unpack what it is to seek wisdom, to be wise people, that we'll see throughout this that it, it is really at the very core of what God calls us to when he says to us, follow me. Um, to follow Jesus is to choose a wise life. And so that's something that we need to kind of take stock of and make part of what we're doing. Um, now here's the confusion, because we, we often get the word wisdom confused with another word. Can you guess what that word is? Knowledge. Knowledge. Yeah. So, and here's how it happens. We, we distinguish the two in our head, but when we refer to one, we often think of another. And so we, we think of knowledge and we think of wisdom, and the two of those things, because they sort of, sort of rest in the mind, we kind of think of those things as an integrated principle rather than two separate ideas. Um, and so it kind of goes like this. If you get a good education, you'll become wise, right? If you, just get a, if you get a college degree, if you get a master's degree, if you go on and get a doctorate, uh, you'll be wise. Is that always true? No. But that's, that's kind of the way our, our society is structured, right? We, throughout our educational system, we don't teach wisdom. We teach knowledge, right? And so I know some grad school graduates that don't have a clue about how to live life. But, man, if you ask them about astrophysics, they would be able to tell you everything, but, but they can't, you know, live their lives, uh, you know, w- without a whole lot of confusion uh, because they haven't answered the wisdom question. They've sought knowledge. Um, but we kind of get those things confused, right? I mean, we think if somebody is fantastic at trivial pursuit, they're going to be good at life, but that's not always the case. Um, we think if you get a 4.0 in college, um, you'll be set for life. But that's not always the case either, right? Sometimes the best students make terrible workers in the workplace. Why? You people that manage people, you know this, right? Common sense. Yeah, common sense. That's an, that may be a closer term for wisdom than knowledge. Um, and yet our, our society, America, values knowledge more than it does wisdom, I would say. It, we are a culture, we are a people who value wisdom, and so the, the saying goes, if I just acquire enough knowledge, then I'll become wise. In other words, if I just, all I need to do is know more stuff. If I can fill my brain with, with good things to know, and knowledge is always good, then the outcome will be wisdom. It'll be a wise life. Um, so the, the saying kind of goes like this. The more you know, what's the rest part of that? It's on NBC. Come on. The more you know the more you grow. Right? (laughs) You've seen those public service announcements, right? (laughs) Or sometimes we change that and we talk about experience as being a replacement for wisdom. And so if I just experience enough things in life, then I'll become wise. Um, And yet, sometimes we, we know people who are quite 
well off in their years, right, who've experienced a lot of stuff, but we wouldn't call them wise, would we? <laughs> Jeff knows a couple of folks like this. None of them are in this room. Uh, but here, here's the thing. So we, we often point the finger at the world and go, ah, oh, you guys, you confuse it, right? But we're never guilty of that, right? We never get the two confused. We, we're, we're sort of above and separate from the world, and so none of that stuff transfers into us, right? <laughs> well, not really. Um, here, here's, here's sort of the Christianized version of it. Um, if we teach people enough about the Bible, they're going to be good Christians. If we get the, the Word of God placed in their heart enough, if we teach them enough stuff, then they'll be good followers of Jesus. And so how do we go about doing that? Uh, we have extended services on Sunday morning. We have Sunday school. We have Sunday night service. We have Wednesday night Bible study. Uh, we have Bible study groups that meet in homes. Pr- pretty much your entire calendar week is filled up with kind of importing Christian knowledge into your minds. Um, but if you never have an outlet for that knowledge, I would ask the question, is it wisdom? So, so it kind of goes like this. In other words, um, the cry always within churches is this. We need deeper teaching. Right? I mean, I've said it myself, so I'm not just blaming other people, but how many people have thought, at least had that thought in your mind? Be honest with me. We need deeper teaching. Um, my, the question I guess I, I want to ask is, does deeper teaching lead to a wise life? Um, or is there something else involved in the mix, in the ingredients, that, that actually leads us towards wisdom? Uh, in his book, The Big Idea, uh, Pastor Dave Ferguson writes this. He says, the average Christian is educated to at least three years beyond their level of obedience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> In other words, more often than not, we have the knowledge that we need, but we don't have the wisdom to apply that knowledge to life. So there's a missing ingredient here, and the answer may not be knowledge. It may be something else entirely. Uh, It may not be deeper teaching. It, It may actually be targeted training, which produces people of wisdom. That may be the missing ingredient. Um... And so it, it kind of goes like this. Um, if I want to become a good runner, what do I need to do? No, I need to study videos of running. Right? I mean, if I want to know the right technique, if I want to be able to build up my stamina to run, I've got to watch some runners. Right? Oh, that's good. <laughs> Balance. Yes. Breathing, yep, he's breathing, yep. I am so going to pass my running exam later on today. It's, I'm going to ace it. Let me ask you, if, if you were just to watch videos of running, how soon do you think you'd be able to run a marathon? <laughs> you could try, right? It may take you a couple days. Uh, you could finish it. But that doesn't make you a marathon runner, Right? Uh, that just makes you a sad person on the side of the road struggling to get through a, a marathon. But we often think of life this way. If I can study it from afar, then I can become it. Jesus never invites us to that kind of life. That, that, that's what I would say this morning. His, his, the, the, 
the following, the discipleship, uh, the what it means to be a Christian is never from a distance for Jesus. Because the distance life is always a life of knowledge and not wisdom. Does that make sense? So, so let's look at somebody um, that gets uh, maybe, a, maybe a good rap, maybe, maybe too good of rap for being the most wise person who ever lived. Can somebody tell me who this person is? King Solomon, right. Um, so we're going to actually look at where he got his wisdom from. Um, Solomon is credited as being the most wise person who ever lived. It says he wrote thousands of Proverbs. Proverbs were little nuggets of wisdom um, throughout his life. And so if we're going to look at anywhere and, and find out what it means to know wisdom, we've got to look there. So um, we're going to be in 1 Kings 3. The verses are going to be up here on the screen. Um, in 1 Kings 3, <clears throat> what's happening here is that um, Solomon has just taken over the reign of his father, David. Uh, David, if you know anything about the story, is the greatest leader to ever lead the nation of Israel. Turns out he's going to be the greatest leader to ever lead uh, past or future apart from Jesus himself. Um, so Solomon is coming on the heels of this great leader. David passes the baton to him. Solomon isn't his oldest son either. It's not like Solomon's had a lot of experience uh, in leading people. He's like way down the line in terms of his own family, right, uh, of being a leader. And yet David, by God's sort of wisdom, grants Solomon uh, is going to be the next king of Israel. So he goes and establishes his reign. And uh, the first thing he does as king happens in, uh, in chapter 3 here. Uh, it says that Solomon went from Jerusalem to this place called Gibeon um, uh, in order to meet with God. So think about his mindset. He is um, just taking over this kingship of a people that, that are growing in number. Uh, they're growing in prominence. They've just kind of gotten off the ride of being under the king of the greatest king the Middle East had ever seen. And now he's coming on the heels. And so this is what he does. Uh, we'll pick it up in verse 4. It says, The king went to Gibeon to offer sacrifices, uh, for that was the most important high place. And Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. Uh, think of how, how long that took him to do that. Uh, at Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. So according to Scripture, it wasn't just pizza the night before. This is a dream that God actually spurred on. So God says this through the dream. Ask for, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Ask for whatever you want me to give you. In other words, think of something that you want, and I'll give it. I don't know of too many places in the, in the Bible where God actually says this. There may not be any other places, actually, where God says this specific thing. Think up anything that you want in your life, and I'm going to give you the very thing that you ask for. Uh, okay, so if I'm Solomon in this dream, I'm going, anything? A anything? You think of all the things that you need as a king. Uh, to, to rule your people. You need power. You need money. Um, you need prestige to reign over the other nations. You need military dominance. Um, maybe you need a PS3. I don't know. You, 
You need lots of stuff. I mean, put yourself in that place. What would you ask for? You had God's ear. He's saying, all right, I'm the genie. Would you ask for more wishes? I mean, there's a lot of things that you could ask for at this moment. What would you want? What, what would you desire? Um, it, Solomon's response is incredible. It, it's not just surprising. It, it's absolutely amazing what he asked for. And, and it, this is the very key of what it means to be a wise person. Um, he, he is in the middle, right, of leading this enormous nation. And he says that it's too great for him to... He actually likens himself to a little child. He says, you've made me king over this nation. It's too great for me, and I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I'm like a little child. I don't even know how to come in or go out. I mean, that... That get, like I don't know my left hand from my right is another way to put it. He, he absolutely doesn't know what to do. And so in response, this is what he asks for in verse 9. So, so given all of this stuff and the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing, I can relate to this very much, um, he asks for this. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this people of yours? In other words, help me. I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, This people that you've placed me king over is too great for me. This thing that you've called me to do is more than than you could ask of me. I am out of capacity. I'm the end of myself. I have no ability to fulfill this thing that you've called me to do. Have you ever felt like that? That life is just too complex. It is too overwhelming. The, the, the tasks before you are too great, and you're just out of strength. You're out of wisdom. You're out of anything to be able to complete that task. That's where he is. And so what, what he asked for is a discerning heart uh, to govern his people, uh, to distinguish between right and wrong. So what does he ask for specifically? Uh, he asked for a discerning heart. Here's, here's what this means in Hebrew. Um, discerning heart uh, in Hebrew is actually a heart that hears. It's a hearing heart. It's a lev shomea in Hebrew. Um, and he wants this heart to administer justice. What did we talk about last week? Or, I'm sorry, the week before. Justice, right? What was the very first verse that, that we brought up? There's something like, God is a God of justice. So, so the question behind the question, if you're really paying attention here, is God, give me a heart that hears you so that I can become like you. Give me a heart that hears you so I can become like you. Um, most people read this story, and I've done it myself. Um, at the very first, if you're going to read um, this in your Bible, the, the very first thing in the chapter is a little title. And the title says, Solomon asks for wisdom. I would say that that's actually inaccurate. Because Solomon never asked for wisdom. The word wisdom in Hebrew actually never appears here yet. God gives him wisdom in a little bit. But he asks for something else, doesn't he? What does he ask for? 
He asked for a hearing heart. Um, And yet, how often do we pray these little 30-second hand grenade prayers, we just toss them up and they explode in God's lap, and we go, God, give me wisdom. And what we mean by that is, God, give me the knowledge to overcome the situation I'm in. And more often than not, that means apart from you, God. Give me the, the, the ability to overcome my circumstance, but don't get involved, really. If you could just zap me with the right knowledge so that I can overcome the situation, then I'll be good and we can go back to our distance relationship. Let me say this. That's not what Solomon prayed for. Solomon's prayer was a hearing heart so that he could become more like God because he knew, and this is wisdom, that in becoming more like God, every circumstance that he encountered would be overcome. That's a pretty profound thought, right? And that's very different from the wisdom that we often think of. Um, Not only that, God is pleased with that kind of wisdom. Uh, And so in in the very uh, next verse, in verse 10, uh, God's response is this. The Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies. In other words, you haven't asked for power or fame or conquest or any of the things that other kings around you would have asked for because you haven't asked for those things. But discernment in administering justice. Because you've asked to be like me, the God of justice, here's what I'm going to do. Verse 12, I will do, uh, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart. There's, the, there's that word wise. It's the first time wise appears in this whole passage. So that there will, be, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Why is Solomon the most wise person who has ever graced the face of the earth? Because he asked for a hearing heart to be like God. Then in, in his connection with God, uh, in his moment by moment listening to God, having a heart which hears only after him, God continually poured wisdom into his life. So if we're going to boil it down, we've been kind of giving you definitions of these new words, kind of reworking them, tweaking the meaning of them. Um, So in light of this, what we'd say about wisdom is that wisdom is discernment given to those who listen to God in order to become like God. You want to live a wise life? You want to be a wise person? Do you want to be a known as a person of wisdom that others come to to seek wisdom? I mean, that's Solomon's life. People would come to him and ask him all these questions. What do we do here? Um, If you want to be known for that, that that quality only comes in response to a heart that hears God and who makes every day in alignment to him so that you can become more like him. Our God is a God of wisdom, and as we live closer and closer and closer to him, he pours more and more and more wisdom into us. That's the equation. That's how it works. There is no wisdom apart from knowing and understanding God and being near him. At least that's Solomon's experience. Um, Wisdom always leads us closer to the wise one, is another way to put it. So, let's talk about the how. 
How do you and I attain wisdom? Uh, how do we become people whose hearts are sort of inclined, open, afresh uh, to God's activity in us? Uh, the first thing I would say is this, that we need to be people who listen to God. I'm going to make these things really simple um, so that you can't confuse them later on. Um, we need to be people who listen to God. Proverbs 9.10, we've already heard one proverb this morning, we're going to hear a few more. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Um, we can often think of fear in a lot of different ways. Most of the time we think of fear in sort of like the scary movie type fear. Uh, the fear which causes us to run away from that which we're afraid. Uh, the fear of God always leads us closer to that which we're afraid. So another word to, to use in place of fear would be awe. Uh, it would be just incredible awe at who God is, and that fear leads us closer and closer to connection with God, not further and further away from him. Um, and so Scott McKnight, um, in this book, One Life, that we've been, we've been talking about, says it this way, to fear God is to begin and end your day and every moment in between with a consciousness of living with and before God. Living before God is living with an awareness that someday we will all give an account to God of what we have done and who we have been. So it's living your life with a hearing heart. Um, and that hearing heart begins in the morning and ends when you go to sleep and is open and available to the activity of God at every moment in between. Uh, that is a much more difficult picture of what wisdom is than what we typically think of as just getting the right answers on the test, right? It requires connection with God. And so that, is, that puts the emphasis, that puts the, the need on us to spend the time with the wise one of heaven. So the more time we spend with him, the more, and that doesn't mean that you need to have like a four-hour prayer session every day. Uh, that means living your life under the awareness of God. Uh, that means understanding that God is everywhere and wants to engage you and use you as a medium to affect other people at every moment. Uh, that, that's what it means to listen to God. It also means that we need to spend specific opportunities in our day to actually meet with God apart from the world, where we turn off the TV, we turn off the radio, we turn off the outside distractions from the world, and we look at his word and we go, what is it that you want me to, to learn today? What is it that, that you want to teach me? God, speak to me, as the opening music said. Speak to me. I, I'm here. I'm available. I, I want to have a heart that hears you. God, pour into that heart what you'd have to say to me today. Uh, that requires us not speaking so much, right? Because if we're speaking, we're not listening, right? Um, the, the second thing I would say is that we need to listen to people who listen to God. Not only do we need to listen to God, but we need to listen to people who listen to God. Uh, Proverbs 13.30, this is one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. Uh, this is Solomon. He's the one that wrote these things. Is saying, uh, He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Now, don't look around at the people sitting next to you. Okay? <laughs> and, and don't raise your hands that this, could, this is a... 
This is a question for you to think about, and you don't need to react in a physical way. I'll just say that. Um, how many of you feel like you're walking with wise folks? <laughs> Do you think that maybe the people that you walk with have an influence on who you are and how you live your life? We often tell this to our children, right? Be careful who you choose as friends. You can choose your friends, right? You can't choose your family. You can choose your friends. Choose wisely. Why? Because those who walk with the wise become wise, but a company of fools, it creates harm for the individual. How often, though, do we think that that principle goes away when you turn a certain age? Right? When you get out of high school or out of college, when you get to a certain age, that principle just goes, it sort of clicks off, right? And now it doesn't matter who you hang out with because you're, you're sort of above that, right? Um, they don't affect you. As a Christian, you try to affect them maybe, but there's no transfer into your life. Uh, not according to this. This is just as true for an 80-year-old as it is for an 8-year-old. Those who want to be wise walk with wise people. Uh, and so I would, I would say this. Um, there are some groups of people that, are, that I would say are pretty wise around here. Um, and uh, it doesn't mean that everybody's wise within those groups. I'll make that preface. Um, <laughs> but but is, it is the place that, we, that it is our prayer, it is our hope, that wisdom would transfer from one life to another. Can you, can you guess what this environment is? It's life groups, yeah. Um, because it, it is a group of people who want to become more than they are today. That's really what it's about. They want to be people who discover God's kingdom dream for their lives and are willing to prioritize certain relationships above others so that they can become those people that God intended them to be. That's what it means to be in a life group. Uh, they are people who are living out this principle um, doesn't mean that everybody in their group is wise. doesn't mean that even the wise people are wise all the time. Um, but it, it means that those relationships are prioritized. The other thing that I would say is that for many of us, this principle means that we need to find others who are able to speak into our lives. We may call those people mentors. Um, we need to, to have relationships of such quality uh, that we have people who are able to ask us difficult questions when we don't want them to ask the questions. Does that make sense? Um, we may think we're doing all right, and we may have others who enable us to feel that way, but it's important for us to have at least one or two people that are examining our lives and going, you're not the hot shot you think you are, right? Uh, there have been three times in my life when I've had mentors um, once when I was in college, once when I was serving with Campus Crusade, and right now a guy named John Cope who pastors Keystone Fellowship over in PA. Those three times in my life are the points in time when I can look back at the 10 years that I've been a Christian and say with clarity, I've grown more during those times than at any other point in my life. Because I've had somebody who has the authority to challenge me on things that I think I've got down already. That's an important relationship for us to have. Th that may be somebody within our life group. 
It may be somebody who's further down the road with us. But it's important for us to be able to listen to people who listen to God. Um, Because it's in that that the transfer of wisdom happens. Um, Because we can often meet with God and begin to hear something that isn't maybe being said. Same thing with the, the spiritual gifts principle. If you think you may have a gift and nobody else affirms it, you may not have that gift. The same thing with wisdom. You may think you're living all right. You may have the best devotions that anybody ever had, and you're, you know, angels are singing during your devotions as you're reading your Bible and praying to God, and, and everything is just clicking and happening, um, but there's nobody else in your life that's able to say, you got an issue here. I would say that's a problem. That's an issue for us to deal with. Uh, if you want to become wise, you've got to hang out with people who are wise. Because the reality is that, that wise people sound like their mentors. They begin to sound like the people who, who are able to speak into their lives. For me, that's a very scary thing because my mentor is from Arkansas. So um, if I start to develop a southern accent... Um, you can challenge me on that, and I'll try to correct it. Um, so we need to listen to God. We need to listen to people who listen to God. The third thing we need to do is, is we need to do what they say. Uh, it's not enough just to acquire knowledge, right? You can have the best life group. You can have the best mentor. They can give you the best advice that you've ever given. You think, man, that's such wisdom from God. I'll do it someday. <laughs> Somebody may be telling you, look, you need to go and forgive that person. You may need to, you know, reconcile that relationship. And you're going, that is phenomenal. It's from God. It's exactly what I need to do next month. Right? I mean, we can play those games. If we we aren't listening and doing, it's not a transfer of wisdom. It's only a transfer of knowledge. Uh, And eventually, knowledge corrupts us if we don't put it into action. Right? Right? So in order to do that, we need to be people that kind of shut up, listen, and put into practice what we're being asked to do. Um, Abraham Lincoln is attributed with this saying. I love this. It is better to be silent and thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Um, (laughs) You want to be wise? It it may be time to be quiet and listen. The Bible would actually put it this way. The way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen to advice. Um, The way of fools seems right to them always, but the wise listen to advice. Let me put it as strong as this. Uh, Wisdom is about putting knowledge into action. One of Jesus' strictest uh, things that he ever said to people was, was to the Pharisees, for what? For asking people to do things they weren't willing to do themselves. For collecting a, a pool of knowledge that banks overspilled their own lives, and yet they weren't able to put this big, massive pool of knowledge into action and actually live differently. We have a word for that. We call that hypocrisy, right? I think it would be tragic. Uh, on the day that we go to meet our maker, because there will be many, many, many people who say that they're Christians, 
who have amassed a lifetime of Christian knowledge and never put it into action. And Jesus will say to those folks, I never knew you. That's scary. Uh, How fortunate we are to live in a place and a time when we can study the Bible freely and openly uh, and have no condemnation for doing so. Thank God for that opportunity that we have to come here and to collect as a church and to, to hear teaching, to be able to teach on whatever we want, apart from any government or other uh, intervention or mingling into what we say. But it will amount to nothing if it's not put into action. Uh, that's a difficult thing to, to wrap our minds around. Wisdom is not just the transfer of knowledge. It is the putting of knowledge into action. Um, So have you noticed something? We talked about Solomon at the beginning. All of the verses that we've used are from the book of Proverbs. Who wrote the book of Proverbs? Solomon. Does anybody... So we're building up Solomon pretty well here, right? Uh, He's a great guy. You know, up until this point. Anybody know what happens to Solomon eventually? Yeah. Uh, I'm not going there. (laughs) (laughs) Hmm. How do I address that? Uh, essentially what Solomon, what, what ended up happening, he, she's right, he, he ended up accumulating too many wives, um, which was something that God told him not to do, not to amass all these things, and yet he amassed wives and wealth and power, all these things he grabbed for himself and amassed this great thing. Um, eventually what ended up happening with Solomon is that he put in his earplugs and stopped listening to God. Because there were too many people around him, wives included, although I'm not going to exclude that, um, who began to turn the volume up. And he chose to listen to those voices rather than to God. So he, he, lived his, he, he started out his leadership asking the right question, right? And then lived his life as if he knew all the answers. And Solomon is credited as being one of, if not the wisest person to ever live. But the tragedy of his life is that he is the wisest fool who ever lived. Because in the end, he chose not to fulfill what he had asked for, which was a hearing heart. And so God pulled away the rug of wisdom from his life. That's the result of him. Uh, I had a professor in Old Testament named Dave Lamb Uh, who would say this, and I had him for a lot of courses. I took a lot of these Old Testament courses. I don't know why. I was glutton for punishment. Um, And he would say at least five times in every course, because it's littered all over the Old Testament. He would constantly say this and repeat it. It got sort of drilled into my mind. Few leaders finish well. Few leaders finish well. Everybody starts out with a bang but few leaders finish well. I would say that it's wisdom that's the fuel to help us finish well. 
that apart from wisdom, we will always have a bang and a flash to begin with, but we will never have the strength necessary to get to the finish line. It is wisdom, right, hearing God, having a hearing heart towards God so that he can pour discernment into our lives that gets us to the finish line well. Apart from that engine which drives us there, we have no ability to get there ourselves. Folks, that is why the definition of a Christian is somebody who prayed a prayer at one point in time never lasts. Uh, It is always that one-time high-level experience, and then the rest of their life is a continual downfall unless they intentionally live their lives in such a way that they hear God, that they hear God through other people, and that they do what they hear. That's wisdom. Um, Apart from that, we don't finish well. Uh, So there is a big difference between asking for wisdom and asking for a hearing heart and devoting ourselves to listening to God so that he can give us wisdom. Does that make sense? So we're going to revisit our definition of a Christian. A Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting his or her one life. Actually, let's say this together. You guys should know this by now, right? Let's say this to God as a declaration of who we want to become, okay? Ready? A Christian is someone who follows Jesus by devoting his or her one life to God's kingdom dream for the world. And I'll add this, by repeatedly hearing from God and from the wise. Um, By orienting our life in such a way that we continue to hear from him and we continue to submit to those people who are further down the road to us. That's what it means to have wisdom. That's what it means to be a Christian. Wisdom is looking more and more like the wise one who we are to become. That's wise. Um, So, if we are going to be a community of people who are wise, which is my prayer for this people, it is my prayer for you and for me, that we would become people who are known by our wisdom in this community, who are known uh, for our connection with God. That's where it begins, and that's where it ends. Uh, We can begin well, and I think that we have. As a community of people, I think we are on the right track. I think we've done a lot of good Uh, in the way that we've tried to establish this new body of Christ, to relaunch us into a new future. But we will never get there apart from hearing from God continually, over and over and over again. And the moment that we plug our ears to the voice of God is the moment that he pulls the rug out from under us and we become a community unto ourselves rather than a community for him. So let's pray that we would become that community. Father, we thank you, God, that that you are the source, the giver, the the genesis of of all that is wise and good in the world. Thank you, God, that, uh, that you are the wise one and that apart from you there is no wisdom. Sometimes that is a difficult pill to swallow for us. But it's when we come to know that truth that, that, that wisdom only comes from you and a connection with you that we begin to become wise. So, Father, may our wisdom never outlast our connection with you. 
may we be people who are never satisfied with the right answers, but are always asking the right questions and always want to be people who are connected with the giver of wisdom. God, I pray that we would be people that listen first and speak second. God, I pray that you would reveal your dream for this church to us uh, as we submit ourselves to you. God, may we learn from the lesson of Solomon's life. May we forge a different path than the one he established. May we be people that ask for a hearing heart and continue to ask for a hearing heart and never stop asking for a hearing heart so that you can come and give us wisdom in how to live our lives. As we continue to pray, I would challenge you to take this opportunity, to take this moment, to ask for this kind of wisdom for your own life. That as we continue with our heads bowed, that you would uh, ask God to come and to give you a hearing heart come and establish this type of wisdom in your life. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for the opportunity to hear from you. Now let us be people who respond in action, putting the good things that you've placed into our minds and into our hearts. Um, into real life change. Let us be people of love and justice and peace and wisdom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.